burn, you know, <laughs> Jiminy Christmas. If these guys can make alcohol, you know, this seems like something that'd be really interesting. Surely, you know. <laughs> Welcome to the Exploring Washington State podcast. Here's your host, Scott Cowan. All right, well, welcome back to this episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast. Today, I am with John Wolfert of the Wolfert Craft Distilling Company. John, welcome. Hey, well, thank you very much for having me. Yeah, so John, you have an interesting story of how you got into distilling. Why don't you... Well, yeah, let's talk about the company first. We'll mix things up this time. So t- tell us, okay. tell us about the backstory of the company. Um, well, the, uh, the backstory of the company is that, um, uh, we, uh, started out probably about, uh, as far as playing around with liquor about, I'd say nine years ago or so. Um, I have a really good friend of mine, uh, Vern and, uh, the two of us were chatting and we'd been watching that, uh, TV show moonshiners. And uh, we thought, uh, I called them up on the phone. It was like, Vern, you know, <laughs> Jiminy Christmas. If these guys can make alcohol, you know, this seems like something that'd be really interesting. Surely, you know, uh, we could figure out how to do it. Uh, and so we chuckled about that. And he, Vern's one of these guys that um, I kind of joked that there's three degrees of separation between Vern and anybody on planet Earth. Oh, wow. Okay. And, and I've got a... <laughs> I have a lot of uh, uh, examples of that that are really freaky and weird. But um, uh, anyway, Vern was like, well, I I know a moonshiner. And I thought, well, of course you do. You know everybody. So whatever. So uh, he he hooks us up with this moonshiner. And uh, we go to this guy's place and um, uh, hang out with him. And uh, uh, he kind of likes us. And we're running this still. And he's showing us how this still works. And. Uh, he kind of takes us under his wing and um, teaches us how to do uh, mashes, uh, how to take care of them, uh, how to deal with the yeast, and uh, how to distill the product and maintain proof and basic stuff. And uh, so, uh, you know, Vern and I went out and we bought ourselves a still. And uh, it wasn't exactly the perfect thing, but we kind of monkeyed around with it and you know as you'll learn you figure out well i need to do this or that to it in order to make it function better and we started playing around with it and um uh, for first step of course it's just horrible um not very good um that, that didn't stop us from drinking it mind okay. you but okay. i mean <laughs> you, suffer, you suffered for the craft yeah yeah so uh you know we we, we learned and uh you know after um after a bit uh, we were experimenting with different uh, different recipes and using different waters uh, for the fermentation, different waters for uh, cutting it uh, down. And uh, we wound up coming across a really good combination. And, you know, of, of course, doing this stuff, um, you know, um, uh, is the, uh, on the other side of the law, let's say. Okay. Uh, you can't do this without a license. And, uh so, um, you know, we started sharing um, with people and people started to really like it a lot. And, uh, yeah, I'm living in this neighborhood and uh, there's like steam trails traveling down my driveway 
um, you know, from the condenser water coming off the still. And, <laughs> and it's starting to get kind of, well, you know, not, you know, I, I started getting concerned sure. that, um, that this, uh, I shouldn't be doing this. Uh, and if I want to be doing it, I should really seriously investigate doing this like legitimately and legally. Okay. So, um, so I uh, started taking classes, I mean, real honest to goodness, you know, <laughs> courses to uh, understand the business, understand all the legal pieces, the paperwork processes, uh, all of that kind of fun stuff. And um, uh, so at one of the courses that I was at um, was a, an American Distilling Institute uh, judge. And uh, for the competitions, every year, ADI, American Distilling Institute, has a conference. It's called the Craft Spirits Expo. And uh, uh, it's, it's a worldwide uh, event, so it's not just American. So it's uh, people enter their spirits from all over the world to this competition. And so this guy happened to be one of the judges uh, for the competition. And I asked him to try um, my wife's uh, coffee liqueur mm-hmm. uh, that we make. Uh, a lot of people did ask him to try their stuff. And um, uh, so he tried it. And his comment to me was, uh, if you do nothing the rest of your life, you must make this. Oh. And I thought, wow, that's pretty neat. So I told Karen about that. And, uh, she said, ah, he says that to everybody. He said, no, no, no. I, I was there. Um, and uh, he tasted a lot of stuff. And most of the time it was like, oh, that's interesting never tasted anything like that before. Um, you know, all those fun euphemisms, you right, know, right. Uh, and, um, but he really made a point, you know, to me about this, that particular product. So, so we decided, okay, well, let's, let's do it. Um, okay. Let's start looking for property and, uh, uh, and figure it out. Um, uh, so, uh, but kind of part of what, really got me going on it was uh, there was some family history uh, involved with this uh, uh, thing. Uh, and it has to do with my great grandfather. Mm-hmm. And uh, my great grandparents in the 19 teens uh, owned this uh, bakery uh, in the town of College Point, New York, which is in Queens. And uh, they had nine kids. Um, all of them had to struggle to make me eke out a living. Of course, you know, nobody's getting rich in the bakery business, right? So uh, so each of the kids had a different specialty. So like um, one made cakes, uh, one did the pastries, uh, one did donuts, another one specialized in like Kaiser rolls and all the rolls, and another one did breads. And, but my grandpa, he made the pies. Uh, so, uh, so I was growing up being at grandpa's house during the holidays. I would be helping grandpa make pies and stuff, but. What was but, Grandpa's uh, specialty? Uh, oh, he had the best um, uh, pumpkin pies. Okay. I just love Grandpa's special pumpkin pies. Um, and so he, um, but, but my Grandpa, by 1920, uh, he became a boilermaker by trade, you know, in a plumber's union. And uh, well, he convinced uh, Great Grandpa and Great Grandma to move the whole family uh, into this three-story tall uh, home uh, in College Point. And my grandpa proceeded to go ahead and uh, put a boiler, a steam boiler, uh, in the basement of that building with a big kettle. <laughs> and then proceeded to bore holes about uh, 
12 inches in diameter through all three stories inside the house, <laughs> which is where they installed the column for the still. Mm -hmm. um, by 1925, uh, uh, Grandma and Grandpa owned three thriving uh, bakeries, uh, in, in quotes, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, because they could get all the raw materials that they needed to distill without government scrutiny. Right. Uh, right. So, uh, plus, uh, when the fermentation is going on, it kind of smells like bread rising. Mm -hmm. So everything seemed normal at the bakery. So <laughs> anyway, they they would truck the mash over to the house in the back of this 1924 Ford delivery van and gravity feed it into the basement. And um, and in you know in New York, the first floor is like above ground, right? You know, Chicago too. And so, but that's what so that's where the condenser was, where they collect all the alcohol. And then they would just gravity feed the alcohol back into the van and just cart it away. Um, and usually that kind of a thing is sort of a big secret within families and stuff. And uh, when I remember when I was a kid, you know, I was uh, talking to, I was overhearing this conversation um, about the explosion that happened. Uh, and um, I thought, well, well, explosion, you know, being a kid, that's always interesting. <laughs> So you know, I went over to my uh, cool aunt. I mean, if you got a lot of aunts, uh, you know, there's always one that's like cool. And uh, of course, she was one of the kids, the great aunt rather, uh, that worked with, you know, that was actually there, lived in the house. And I was like, well, what, what's, what's the story on that? You know, and uh, she kind of looked around, you know, to make sure nobody else was looking so she could kind of tell me, you know, without anybody knowing. And she said, well, um, grandpa was making uh, beer. You know, and you shouldn't do that. And I thought, oh, okay, making beer. Okay, so I let that go. I was just a kid. What did I know? Mm -hmm. Many years later, um, you know, I'm starting to get into the distilling thing, and I thought to myself, I remembered this story, and I thought to myself, explosion that blew off the roof of the house. Oh, jeez. Um, beer doesn't have a flashpoint. Um, no, 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 that's, that's wrong. So I get on the phone and I, I call up my aunt and, uh, and uh, it says, look, um, I'm not, I'm not buying the beer story. Um, <laughs> uh, what really happened? Uh, and that's when, uh, that's when I found out exactly what they were doing. Uh, what they were really up to, and uh, that kind of became pretty cool. So uh, <laughs> we were able to find all kinds of information out uh, for uh, specifically one of our recipes uh, that we used, and uh, just kind of fun. So anyway, long-winded uh, discussion. I'm, I'm on your website, <laughs> but your wife kind of has a, a – a variation of that tale as well, doesn't she? She she does. She does. Uh, Karen's um, uh, Karen's grandma made bathtub gin uh, during Prohibition uh, to uh, supplement her income. <laughs> uh, and she was a pretty terrific cook too, so I'm sure her stuff tasted pretty good. Oh, that's just okay. <laughs> so yeah, we got outlaws in the family. Outlaws in the family. So let's let's before we go forward, I'd I'd like to go back just a little bit though. You said something, and and I I didn't ask you right then. So when you were 
we'll call it experimenting. Yes, yes. How much output were you producing? Oh, not very much. I mean, the still was really, the first still was only about a, a 10 gallon, um, uh, a 10 gallon uh, kettle. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it uh, really, realistically, after you get rid of um, the the heads and the tails uh, from the run, uh, which we can talk about what those are, mm-hmm. uh, you probably end up with a Somewhere in the vicinity of maybe maybe three quarters of a gallon okay. of a very high proof alcohol, maybe in the you know one seventy five to one eighty five range, roughly. Uh, and then once you proof that down, you know you're talking somewhere in the vicinity of uh, uh, you know roughly a little bit over twice that much. You know once you proof it down, so maybe a, maybe maybe almost. Uh, you know, two gallons, a little bit less than two gallons. So, yeah, you're talking maybe 10 bottles of finished product. That's still a pretty, pretty decent sample size. Yeah. Yeah. It's a decent sample size. You know, when, when you run it out and, you know, play around with it. So so you, and I don't know you well enough to say this, this is meant to be a joke. You got your wife's permission to open a, open a distillery. Um, Yeah. You have to have, you know, we have to have our spouses buy in. Otherwise life is miserable as self-employed people. Oh, sure. What, where did you end up? Let's talk about how you got to where you are today. So how long has that taken and kind of what were some of the milestones along the way? Well, the first thing was we, we needed to find a piece of property that was properly zoned, uh, so that we could do this, uh, so um, we started searching, and it took us about a year uh, to find the place where we are right now. And there were a number of things that were very attractive about the property. Uh, one, it had the right zoning, obviously. Two, we knew uh, from the previous owner, it sat on top of an aquifer. Hmm. Although he didn't have a well drilled, uh, hmm. but it sat on an aquifer. And that aquifer happened to be uh, where my favorite water comes from. Okay. Uh, to use. So that was even a bigger bonus. Uh, so we went ahead and put a deal together to buy the property. And uh, then we started uh, the process of let's get legal. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, the first thing we did was we drilled a well. So about 220 feet down, we can pump 50 gallons a minute. So oh, we good. were in it. So good, good uh, flow. which is awesome. Uh, so we built the distillery out in the back of our garage mm-hmm. because we have a pretty decent sized garage and I d- did the floor, put all the plumbing in, got everything ready to go. It was really, really pretty cool. Uh, so anyhow, uh, uh, so we, we, I got a hold of, uh, uh, a, uh, consultant that works with the ta- that does work and paperwork for, setting up distilleries through the tax and trade bureau because it's kind of a complicated process uh so i was working with him great guy former atf agent um back when the ttb was the atf they they split off the money portion of the uh um, alcohol tobacco uh and firearms piece into what's called the tax and trade bureau uh, from the atf 
And so I started working with him and he was like, yeah, they're not going to approve that. You, you know, you, you can't do the distillery in the back of the garage that way. And I was like, well, why? And he's, it's too close to the house. And I thought, well, oh, that must be because of fire. Uh, no, no, not because of fire. Uh, it can't be that close to the house because I could, they, they need to be able to come and do an inspection anytime they want without a warrant. Mm. And with it being that close to my house, I could claim that they invaded my personal right of privacy. Oh. So anything that they found would be inadmissible. Hmm. So their solution to the problem is just to say no. And that was kind of a bummer. <laughs> so we started trying to figure out what we could do in order to make them say yes. Mm-hmm. And w- what do we have to do? What, what is going to make them happy? And it took almost a year of trying all different kinds of things, talking to many, many different people, uh, trying to figure out, you know, can we have a separate access to the, to the, you know, to the distillery that we're going to build? Um, how do we separate it? Um, make a long story short, uh, I was at an ADI conference, American Distilling Institute conference that was in uh, Denver in 2019 in April. Uh, and I happened to run into the guy at the Tax and Trade Bureau who actually makes the final decisions on such weird things like this because there are very, very, very few distilleries in the United States that are on personal property. Uh, okay. It's pretty unusual, uh, especially residents, uh, residential property. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, he asked me, well, do you have any plans? And I said, sure. Hold on a minute. I'll be right back. I beat feet back to my hotel room and I got all my stuff because I was hoping I'd meet somebody. And we came back. We laid it all out on the table and he was really cool, uh, excellent to work with. And he... Uh, you know, drew little lines on the uh, the map that I had, uh, the survey, and said, well, you put a fence here, you put a fence here, you put uh, signs here, 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 and here, uh, and you build a distillery just about out here someplace, and I think we could probably work with that. Well, I took that as a yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and so um, uh, a year later, uh, it took another year to get everything lined up, get all the permits in place, get the building ready to go, get uh, pick out the building uh, and all that fun stuff. And uh, it is a lot of paperwork and a lot of processes. There's some fun information on our website that talks about uh, uh, the ups and downs of that um, and the trials and tribulations of that particular adventure and and so we ended up um uh, breaking ground uh on april 10th of 2020 okay uh right smack in the middle of uh the whole covid nightmare right and uh, we had the uh got the certificate of occupancy for the building on the very last day of 2020 uh, we got our federal permit to produce alcohol the second week of December 2020 and got our state permit for alcohol the second week of March of 2021. And we opened the doors in April of 2021. 
a little so bit over a year ago. Just a little bit over a year ago. Okay. Yeah. One of the things that I have heard through the years is that um, the state of Washington is super easy to work with. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I was, yeah. How- yeah, they have some really interesting um, uh, regulations that I'm sure that when they put them together, somebody was really well-meaning, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, and, but, be, and be, but because they made the regulations, somebody's got to enforce the regulation and uh, yeah, um, some of it is uh, pretty, uh, pretty crazy. Right. Um, we have a, uh, uh, our, our, um, we had what I thought I thought was a um, drainage ditch uh, on the property mm-hmm. um, because like, if you were to go out there right now, there's no water in it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, right. if we had a torrential downpour, there'd be water in it. It seems to me that when you have a torrential downpour and water goes into something, that's a drainage ditch. <laughs> um, so, so while we're trying to get all the permitting stuff done with the, uh, the County, um, they showed up and, uh, I had put like rocks alongside the drainage dish because I didn't want to drive down into it in order to mow it, you know. So mm-hmm. well, you would have thought I killed a spotted owl or something uh, when they showed up. It's like, oh, what are these rocks doing here? I said, well, it's a drainage ditch. And they were like, no, it's not. I said, well, what is it? These are the headwaters of Great Dane Creek. And I said, what, are you kidding me? I know what a creek is. I've got a dictionary. It says water. There's look, look, there's no water. And they were like, Oh no, it's on the map as the Creek. And I'm like, but there's no water. And she said, um, it's a seasonal Creek. I'm like, Oh, okay. <laughs> Fine. So I had to go through this hugely expensive environmental survey. Uh, and, had to had to deal with that problem and had to remove all the rocks by hand because we can't disturb the soil underneath the rocks that would be bad and uh, i had put a whole bunch of sand out uh, uh over the, over an area so that we could use it as a staging uh area for mm-hmm. the equipment that we're going to be bringing in well i had a problem with that too that had to be removed and the native soil return which was underneath it all fine and then i had to plant even though it was regular grass before, uh, I had to plant um, these native seeds. Uh, so they had this list that came with the environmental survey that I had to plant. And these seeds, you can't buy by the pound because they're too expensive. You've got to buy them by the ounce. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was just... Um, so, I, okay, fine. So that created other problems because uh, now I can't, you know, there's a lot of the property I can't use for parking. I, uh, the, the building is going to encroach on what's called a buffer zone. So I had to designate an area back behind the building to like make up for the space that would be critical area, protected area just for that. And I had to put two posts out there, um, you know, mounted in concrete. And I knew that everybody was crazy when, yeah, I called them up and I said, you know, I, look, I've already got a sign that says this is a protected area. Don't go in here. Why do I need to put the signs out there? Well, you have to put the signs out there. 
And I said, yeah, but in order for me to put the one sign in, in order for me to get to where I need to put the sign, I have to damage the critical protected area to put a sign in that says, don't damage the critical protected area. Is that what you're telling me you want me to do? You want me to damage the critical protected area to put a sign in that says, don't damage the critical protected area. And he said, yes. And I thought, okay. <laughs> wow. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So one, so I, I still have questions about this because this is just bits and pieces of information I've gathered and I don't know that they're accurate. Sure. So you built the building and you, you installed the, 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 for lack of a real technical term, the, the equipment, the still, right? Mm -hmm. But you're not, were you able to use the still for um, configuration purposes or did you have to wait until both the federal and the state signed off on it? Yeah, you can, you could, you, you could legally distill like water in it. Mm -hmm. uh, you could, uh, but you can't really make alcohol in it, not without a permit. Okay. So, uh, and, and what permit was more important, the federal or the state? They're equally important. Okay. Uh, you can't get the state unless you have the federal. Okay. And you can't produce alcohol in the state of Washington without the state permit. Okay. So bed comes first, and then you got to go through the state. Okay. Yeah. So the day that you got your federal or the state permit, you're yeah. you're at that point, you are now legally approved to, to produce alcohol. Yep. And that very afternoon, we were making mash. <laughs> okay. Okay. So what was the first, uh, first product that you, uh, started, started making? Well, we wanted to, um, we wanted to be able to open with four products, okay. uh, right off the bat. And so, uh, so we wanted some diversity. So we had a, uh, our first four products was, um, our vodka, uh, spark, uh, rather our, our vodka headlight, uh, it's just a really, really, really super clean um, vodka. But in order to be a vodka, it has to come off the still at least once at 190 proof. Okay. Uh, and uh, so um, we're really careful about how we produce that, and it's it's really, really, really clean. Uh, we Karen had uh, a recipe that uh, she had created uh, our basil flavored vodka. Uh, so that was the other, uh, pro that was the other vodka product that we had. Okay. Uh, and then we had, um, uh, great grandpa Sugarshine, uh, <laughs> uh, from the, uh, for the bakery. And we just, we, 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 we say it's like a whiskey that we can't call it whiskey. We can't call it whiskey because, you know, great grandpa fermented with sugar. Mm -hmm. uh, so it just, you know, you can't call it that. There's some other reasons too. You can't, it wasn't aged in oak barrels because they didn't do that back then. And, but there's tricks as to how we got around all that stuff. Okay. And then the last thing that we did was the, the fourth product was a uh, clutch, which is our uh, coffee liqueur, okay. uh, that coffee liqueur, which really started this whole thing off. Also Karen's recipe. Okay. Uh, Karen has been making that since she's been in her twenties. And okay. uh, uh, so those were our four products that we came out. And uh, we were really in a hustle because uh, the American Distilling Institute um, uh, awards or a competition was coming up and we had to get uh, any product that we wanted to be involved in the competition uh, to them. 
by like the second week of April. Mm. Uh, otherwise, we would have missed the competition for 2021. Mm -hmm. So we hustled and hustled and hustled, and we sent down uh, the uh, coffee liqueur, and we sent down the basil-flavored vodka, and that was kind of fun. And both from our very, very first legal batches. And uh, the coffee liqueur uh, got a bronze medal uh, in Louisville, Kentucky last year, and the basil-flavored vodka also got a bronze medal. Uh, so both of our products that we sent down uh, won bronze in uh, uh, in the competition. So we were very pleased with that from our very first batches. So that's excellent. That's yeah. excellent. Yeah. So I asked you earlier when you were experimenting, you were ultimately maybe able to produce ten bottles. Mm -hmm. Your current production, what is a what is the still? Well, it uh, the still is considerably larger. Um, we just got our new still in, uh, which is, uh, it's a 250 gallon mm -hmm. still, uh, a little bit bigger than my little 10 gallon starter yeah. still, <laughs> uh, which I can now use for my little experiments and stuff. Um, mm -hmm. but, uh, um, it's, uh, depending upon what we're making, uh, you're talking upwards of, you know, 200 bottles, uh, you know, if we're doing like, uh, you know, uh, each time we run it, you know, we could, we could push it higher. Um, but we, we don't do things with a mash that a lot of people do, um, okay. to, uh, we don't add nutrients and we just let things take its natural course and it takes a lot longer to, uh, ferment, uh, than most distilleries. So. So I have a, a random question because I'm on your website. I'm on the shopping cart right now. Uh-huh. This is something I don't understand clearly. Yeah. It says, please note, at this time, we can only ship to Washington, Nevada, and the District of Columbia. Yeah. That uh, kind of. Uh, without, without, you know, poking the hornet's nest or something, but why, what are the criteria? Why, why can you, you're based in Washington, so I'm assuming you can ship to Washington just because of your location. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yes. But why was, Nevada and why district of Columbia? Do they, do, are they just far more lenient? Yeah, it is. Um, when prohibition ended, uh, the ability to control and regulate, uh, alcohol and taxation and transport of it, um, that was given to the States. Oh. It was not national. Okay. Um, and that was at the time, I believe it was for beer and wine too. Okay. Uh, but uh, since then, the beer and wine industry uh, seems to have somehow figured out how to uh, get the rules changed. And so you could join a wine club. Uh, and uh, if you lived in, uh, you know, uh, Colorado and a, um, a, a vintner in, in Washington could ship to you. No problem. Okay. Uh, that's not the case, uh, for, um, uh, that's not the case for, uh, alcohol. Interesting. Uh, okay. So, and so each state has to be able to allow that particular thing to, uh, to happen. So, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the cynic in me goes, well, if you're going to ship to Nevada, it's likely that it's going to go through either Oregon or Idaho to get there. 
You yeah. Would... <laughs> yeah. That's okay so, because it's not ending up there. Yeah. Like Oregon, um, Oregon's a control state. So um, it's a really good example of, of kind of how Washington used to be. Mm-hmm. So in Oregon, we're in a number of stores in Oregon. It's kind of funny. We're in stores in Oregon, but we're not in stores in Washington. <laughs> That's a okay. different story. That how that interesting. But um, you have to be approved by the Oregon Liquor Control Commission. And how that can happen is, is that a, uh, a a liquor store can decide, hey, I want to special order uh, this product. So they'll go ahead and they'll put in a special order request with the Oregon Liquor Control Commission because everything's bought by them. And then OLCC delivers it to the stores. Mm-hmm. And so then OLCC then will contact us. Uh, we'll go through a whole bunch of rigmarole to make sure that they got all the proper barcodes and all that kind of fun stuff. Mm-hmm. And then we'll ship the order down to OLCC in uh, Milwaukee, Oregon. Uh, and then the product will get delivered uh, to the retailer. Uh, and uh, the retailer gets a percentage of the, re- of the sale price to keep for themselves okay. uh, down there. And uh, that's that's how that works. So, uh, but there are other places that have set up some rather interesting ways to get a hold of uh, the uh, uh, the alcohol. So there's there's other states that have the ability to distribute and ship to many other states. Uh, and uh, um, you know, there are some outfits that are out there that have got you know certain kinds of relationships with that when you buy the product. Uh, from them, uh, you're taking possession of the alcohol at their facility. Okay. Um, then you own the alcohol, and now you are shipping the alcohol to yourself. And that's okay. That's okay. Yeah, yeah that's okay. <laughs> All right. So anyway, it's just it, 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 the in my conversations with distillers and brewers and cider makers and winemakers, this is just always an interesting tangled mess. It just seems so overly complicated and confusing. And I'm not saying that there shouldn't be controls. I'm not, that's not what I'm trying to say. I just think it's become overly, my opinion is it's overly complicated and it's taking away from what you want to do, which is to make product. Exactly. And we have a, there's a, um, the industry has a, um, a kind of a lobbying firm uh, mm-hmm. that is constantly working in Washington, D.C., trying to get uh, the craft spirits and the liquor, you know, the, the big guys go through huge distributors. Mm-hmm. And so because there's distributors in all the different markets, they can get their product in just about every single state. It's really easy. But as little guys, you know, uh, we don't have the kind of volume numbers that is going to work out for some big outfit like Southern Glaciers. And uh, they're not going to wrap our product. I mean, we're just little teeny guys, you know? Right. So they're trying to get us set up on a kind of a level playing field with the beer and wine people. But unfortunately, uh, the numbers are rather interesting. Um, beer numbers are decreasing and spirit numbers are increasing. Uh, as far as consumption. Mm -hmm. So there's this little uh, glitch that's happening and um, the beer people are actively trying to stop the spirits people from being able to have a level playing field. So they're actively spending way more money than we are to stop us while we're trying to 
um, get the get get on a level playing field. Okay. So you started with four products. Yep. I'm looking at one here that wasn't in your four. So how many yep. products are you currently manufacturing? Currently six, soon to be seven. Okay. I'm seeing the apple liqueur. Oh yeah. Hey, two weeks ago, uh, that one, uh, a silver medal in the fruit liqueur category at the San Francisco world spirits competition, which is like the preeminent, uh, spirits competition uh in the world it's uh it's the best and it was the highest rated uh apple liqueur uh uh in the category wow yeah. okay. so we're super excited about that that product is incredible yeah and there's actually a pretty cool story behind it so <laughs> is the other product in the decaf coffee liqueur yes yeah karen has been making that for a long time but we quite frankly didn't uh have the uh, the time to do it until just this past Christmas, right before Christmas. Uh, but Karen worked at a box factory when she was in her twenties mm-hmm. and uh, she wanted to be able to have, and she worked swing shift. So she wanted to be able to have her favorite drink at night uh, and go to bed and not be all wired up on caffeine. Right. So uh, she started making it in decaf and uh, her favorite drink is a, a shot of that and a shot of brandy. Um, something cheap like E and J uh, on the rocks with some half and half, kind of like a white Russian, but with brandy instead. Okay. Uh, super smooth and velvety. And so, um, yeah, she was making it back then. So we finally were able to get around to getting the labels done and the labels approved. Uh, that was fun. You know, we <laughs> wanted us not to, to remove the word decaf from the label. I was like, you got to be kidding me. So, <laughs> but we convinced them that that was okay. <laughs> And, okay. uh, and so we were finally able to get the label approved and, uh, and we started manufacturing. It's been pretty popular. Yeah. Okay. And you mentioned there's a seventh. So what's, what's on the, the near horizon? Um, yeah, we're doing, going to do a, uh, a 100 proof version of our headlight vodka. Okay. And it's going to be called high beam. Uh, I just approved, uh, I just approved the labels, uh, for production, uh, this morning. Okay. So we'll have labels in about a week or so. So maybe about two or three weeks from now, we'll actually have bottles and it'll be available. Okay. Yeah. I always ask, um, that's, so that's on the, that, that's like almost here. The labels are here. It's a formality. You're going to launch that. Precisely. Yeah. What might the future hold? Well, it's a good question. We, I just went ahead and I've, uh, anything you make, you have to have a label for. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's got to be approved by the uh, the, the TTB. Uh, it's called a cola, and we have uh, I have a, a number of I asked the, our uh, marketing guys to come up with some generic labels that we can use. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we call, we're calling it Pilot Project. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've got a little template so that I can print out um, like uh, for labels for let's say like. 10 bottles because uh, okay. I've uh, um, drug out my, my, my original still and I put that back into the back of the distillery and it's plugged into the wall and it's got everything ready to go. And so when I do uh, my mashes, uh, I will be doing little experiments on that uh, to just play around with. I haven't been able to play for you know two years or more because mm-hmm. it's been really busy. 
uh, and uh, it, we've got we got some fun stuff going on. We've got one that we'll do pretty soon, which is a, a cinnamon uh, version of the starter product, which is the whiskey we can't call whiskey. Mm-hmm. And people just, you know, people that have tried it really, really like it. It's not at all like um, like Fireball. Fireball's got a lot of sugar in it, so there's no mm-hmm. sugar um, in, in the final product. So it's mm-hmm. just got that cinnamon hit to it and people really really like it um i won't i won't drink it anymore myself um it, <laughs> uh, i had um i filled a rocks glass with it um one time and i uh drank it and i had the worst nightmares i've ever had in my whole life i mean they were horrible horrible um uh, I'll I'll taste it to make sure it's okay, but I'm not drinking it anymore. So I call it cinnamon nightmare. So uh, are you going to put a disclaimer <laughs> on it that you know me? You know, <laughs> nobody else has ever reported the problem. I guess I'm just hypersensitive to cinnamon or something. I have no idea, but it, I'm not 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 that doing it. Okay. Oh my gosh. I can understand. I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't want that either. No. All right. What has been in 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 this journey so far? What has been your biggest surprise oh boy i would say the biggest surprise was the how difficult it was to get all of the permitting taken care of and all of the inspections Mm -hmm. and um I, i learned a lot um uh about the process I played, I kind of played general contractor. So with the pandemic, because I was working from home, I was able to be here all the time. Right. So when there was like a question or something, I could go, you know, running out and uh, uh, help with that and uh, answer a quick question, then run back in and get on my computer, go back to work. Uh, but the, just how long certain things took to get done uh, just shocked me. Uh, a perk test for uh, septic. Uh, <laughs> six months for somebody to show up and put water in a hole that was open in my backyard for six months. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, o- almost uh, nine months before you actually had the permit for it. Uh, <gasps> just crazy things that I had no idea. I put a fan in my bathroom, uh, which is required. And they wouldn't sign off on it so I could do the drywall because I put a fan in the bathroom. And I was like, it's a $25 fan. What are you talking about? Uh, well, you need a mechanical permit for that. Oh, so you have to have drawings and technical information. And well, by the time I got done, my $25 fan cost 250 bucks. Mm-hmm. You know, just weird things like that, that I just wasn't ready for. I just didn't expect, you know, I, I got these racks to store stuff. I, I figured we'll put the racks up. Right. And then bolt them to the floor. Oh no, 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 no. You can't do that. No, no, no. They, this, you have to have, you have to have a drafts person draw it all up and then you have to have an engineering company do all the engineering work on the racks. And then you just can't put it up. Uh, no, you have to have a special company physically come to the site when you put them up 
to watch somebody drill the holes in the concrete and blow the holes out and watch them put the epoxy in the holes and then put the bolt in the holes. And then you have to pay for them to come back the next day, three hour minimum, to make sure that the nuts that you put on the bolts that hold the racks up are torqued to the proper pounds per square inch. Uh, you know, it's just a simple thing where it's like, hey, and whose best interest is it that these racks don't fall down? Right. Um, you know, so something as simple as putting up uh, a set of racks, which would have cost me maybe a 300 bucks, you know, turns into something that costs almost 3000 by the time you're done with it. It's just, it's, you know. Well, see, yep. here's a, here's a hard question for you. Well, maybe it's not a hard question, but here's the hard question. Knowing what you know now, would you do it again? Oh yeah. That's a really good one. Um, boy, you know, there is a certain point at which there's a point of no return. Mm-hmm. I can't, you're, you're, you can't turn back now. Right. You know, you're in for a penny, you're in for a pound. You're, you're doing it, you know, like it or not, you're going forward. Um, I would say yes, but knowing what I know now, I would probably do a few things a little bit differently. Okay. Fair uh, enough. And uh, which, you know, in the end would have made things a little bit more smoother, I think. So, okay. yeah. Well, it's not like you can go and, you know, not that anybody goes to the library anymore, but go to the library and pull a book off the shelf, to op- how to open a distillery in, in your home in Washington state written right. by a guy who's done it. <laughs> right. It's just that, that knowledge, that knowledge that you've gathered now is probably something, honestly, if you were so inclined, that's probably a marketable skill Yeah, uh, that you could, you know, when one of your, somebody calls you up and says, Hey, <laughs> I want to open a distillery. And you say, well, tell you what, I can save you time and money by you paying me for my time with your money yeah. and, you know, and help you out. So, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I was, I was kicking around the idea of um, at the, at the conferences, um, you know, people do talks and I was mm-hmm. thinking about for 2023 doing a, so you want to open a story <laughs> kind, of, <laughs> kind of a talk. <laughs> really? Okay. Let's talk yeah. about that. It's, uh... <laughs> I, I have a, yeah, it's, 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 been interesting my conversations with just with distillers here in the state have been it's been interesting um have you been to dry fly in spokane no i haven't um uh, i believe they were the very first one to get a license in the state of washington uh uh, they've uh, just moved into their new location mm -hmm. which used to be the print room for the spokane newspaper oh okay well that would be tall enough and (laughs) with floor-to-ceiling windows it, this thing, this is, um, if you go to Spokane, you should definitely go check it out. Oh, most definitely. Um, visually, it's stunning what they've done. And it, it's so, um, I don't understand why you've got all these coils and these lines and all. I don't understand the technical thing of the still. Sure. But looking at what they have and the other tanks that they have and, I, I was just sitting there and thinking to myself, I don't, I don't know that I could wrap my brain around how to build this thing out. It's too complex for me because they have a canning line because they're canning cocktails. Oh yeah. That's built popular right now. We'll see yeah, how long and, that lasts. 
and they've got a they've got a canning line in there that's just staggering how fast they can can cocktails. It's yep. just amazing. But this space, and I I don't want to say how many square feet it is because I don't know, but yeah. it's 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 large. And I'm just like, okay. Um, obviously they've navigated well and sure. they, they've grown to a point and it, it works for them. But I just, it's, it's, it's overwhelming. I mean, it really, I think we should probably hold distillers and brewers and winemakers in higher regard, just forgetting what's in the glass, just the what it takes to get so you can put it in the glass. Oh yeah. Yeah. You guys, um, all of you, you know, deserve a tip of the cap. <laughs> Thanks. Um, it's a lot of fun. You know, yeah, it's, and it's, you sound like you enjoy it. That's the thing. You sound like, you know, you, you sound like you enjoy the project of it in the, you know, maybe not in the moment, um, but, you know, the 250, the $25 bath fan that turns into 250, probably not so much, but you, you <laughs> like to, you like to solve the problem. So that's, that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of works well with my, with my regular stuff that I do is I solve problems, but um, I, right. I'll tell you that the, favorite thing that i enjoy most about it though is people come to the distillery and they have certain expectations and when they have the opportunity we when we do the tasting it's so much fun to just blow those expectations completely out of the water and okay. to just to look at the expression on people's face the words they say, how they describe the product. It is just so much fun okay. um, to just see that, that uh, when they smell torque and their eyes light up and they have a smile on their face because it reminds them of grandma, you know, mm. um, it's, it's, it's really special. Uh, uh, they, you know, they'll, they'll uh, have a sip of the, uh, 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 of Karen's uh, um, coffee liqueur, and immediately uh, uh, somebody would say, "Oh, that's dangerous. That would go. That, we should put that on ice cream." You know, mm -hmm. um, it's it's exceptional. And then, and our customers are so cool. I mean, we've had people uh, bring us stuff like they've made. Uh, they made fudge using Karen's apple liqueur and bring, and they bring that by, you know, oh, okay. or, well, one lady, uh, fabulous. She made a uh, truffles, uh, and made the ganache with the, uh, regular and the decaffeinated uh, coffee liqueur. So much fun. So people, people really, really like it once they taste it. It's just so much fun to, uh, to interact with them and tell them the stories. I'm, uh, maybe not the sharpest you know, or the brightest bulb in the chandelier, but I just realized that all your products are named after car parts. Yes. Oh yeah, absolutely. Spark clutch <laughs> starter. Okay. Yeah. What, yeah. What, what, what's the story there? How did, what's how up, did you, what's up with that? You know, Yeah. what's up with that? <laughs> <clears throat> uh, excuse me. Um, well, uh, I've got a, um, I, I've been riding motorcycles uh, off and on since I was a teenager. And oh, okay. uh, so I'm kind of like into motorcycles. I'm into uh, um, uh, airplanes. Like I, I got my, my, my um, private pilot's license when I was 17 years old. Oh, okay. So, um, so the whole thing about, you know, um, uh, 
the, the trademark for the company is for adventurous spirits. And okay. so, uh, this particular round of stuff is all, you know, pretty much motorcycle based. When you come okay. to the distillery, uh, you, uh, uh, above the, uh, the boiler room, uh, the steam boiler room, uh, there's a, a 1959 Harley Davidson panhead uh, that's up on top of the up on top of the room that you can see from the tasting room. It uh, belonged wow. to my uh, wife's brother, uh, and he passed oh. away. And uh, so we, you know, the estate owed us some money, so uh, she took the motorcycle instead of the cash. So it's kind of a special wow. piece of. Equipment. Well, I didn't even get. I said car parts, and I didn't even think motorcycle. So. Oh, yeah. okay. See, once again, the bulb is dim. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, if you if you could have uh, any bike, what would you want? Oh well, you know, um, that's a good. Well, I have it actually. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, I have a. Uh, I would probably change the engine out, but um, uh, my bike that we do a lot of uh, riding around on is I have a, a ultra classic Harley Davidson electric light. Okay. And, uh, it's a, it's it's a touring bike and mm -hmm. super comfortable and uh, you know been on trips out to uh, Yellowstone and you know, okay. uh, fun things like that so okay. uh, really uh, haven't had a chance to drive it much I mean last year I drove from the garage into the distillery so I could wash it and then from the distillery back to the garage <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. This year I drove it from the garage to the distillery and then I thought, oh, I got to go meet Danny, uh, who lives about two miles away and then back to the garage. <laughs> you're, so. you're, you're breaking it in slowly. You know, you're taking... <laughs> yeah. so. so you have a tasting room. That's something I want to make sure we talk about. Sure. Uh, what, what was the, well, this, was this by design that you had the tasting room from the very beginning? Did you want to have a tasting room or was this born out of curiosity by the public or how'd this come about? Well, no, it was originally designed to have a tasting room physically here. Um, most distilleries have a tasting room. Uh, some of them are very small. Um, mm -hmm. Some of them are pretty big. Um, so uh, I figured we'd be pretty small. So I, I made it so that it'd be roughly, you know, uh, put in maybe, you know, 10, 12 people or so, you know, in a cozy, cozy thing. Okay. And, you know, so I marked out a certain part of the area for it. And it has kind of a, kind of a pull-up window uh, to the <laughs> distillery floor. Okay. And so we're actually on the distillery floor and immediately behind me is the still. Uh, so everybody's got a perfect view of the still uh, okay. right from inside the tasting room. And so that's literally where we do it. We're on the distillery floor. We're just literally serving uh, the tastes uh, to people right there. And, uh, you know, and, it's, and we only do tastings. Uh, a lot of distilleries now are able to do uh, serve cocktails and stuff. And people mm -hmm. ask, you know, are you serving cocktails? And we're like, no, if I wanted a bar, I would have bought a bar. Mm -hmm. But this is our house. We live right. here. Um, and uh, that's not what we're in the business for. Okay. So you're, you mentioned earlier, so, but you're, you're currently not in retail locations in Washington, correct? Correct. Uh, that hopefully will change very, very soon. Okay. Um, until, uh, until our big still showed up, uh, I had a couple of small 25 gallon stills that I was using uh, mm -hmm. to make product. And with those stills, I could pretty much 
keep up with the neighborhood <laughs> and, and, and our gigantic, you know, $25 a week, uh, Facebook, Instagram ad budget. Okay. Uh, and if I had a salesperson, I, there was, I would not be able to make enough to be able to make that person, uh, be able to have a decent, make a decent living. I'd be out of alcohol all the time. Right. So we had to wait to get a sales rep or a sales agent or to get, you know, a sales agent contractor, uh, on board, uh, here, uh, until, uh, the big still got here and we got the kinks worked out of it. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of kinks to work out of it. And so we, uh, uh so hopefully uh, we submitted for all the paperwork, uh, to the state, uh, for, cause the agent has to be licensed by the state mm-hmm. of Washington. And we're expecting to have that taken care of by next week. And we'll have a dedicated, uh, sales agent repping our products. And we should be seeing it get into bars and restaurants, uh, and liquor stores here pretty soon. Okay. Um, we, we're, we're in a few places. It's, it's kind of, um, like we're in, um, Bottle and Bull, for example, uh, which is a really good restaurant on the waterfront in Kirkland. And uh, it's, I don't have time to market myself, but I happen to be down there having a, a, a business meeting from my real job. And uh, and the, the, the bar manager saw my hat and we started, to, oh, you have a distillery. We started talking and so well, do, you have, do you have any samples with you? And I thought, well, I got a bottle uh, of clutch out in the van that I was going to drop off uh, at work for somebody. I said, well, he could wait. So I ran out, and, I ran out, got the bottle, I brought it in, I gave it to the guy. It was uh, so it was Karen's coffee liqueur, and, and he takes it behind the bar. And about 15 minutes later, he's back with the bartender, and somebody else had tasted it, and he was like, "We need to talk." Uh, this stuff is amazing. And I said, I'm, I'm excited to hear that. Thank you very much. Uh, so they ended up picking up uh, the clutch product. And uh, so you can, you, they serve it in the bar. It's what they make all of their um, high end coffee liqueur type recipes with. And okay. they, you know, or they reorder regularly by the case. And so they're, they're moving right along. Great. It. And, and they also use it in a number of dessert recipes too. So, okay. cause it, it's so thick. It just, it's great. It's like, a, it's almost like a syrup, you know, it's oh, syrupy and viscosity. So it's really a lot of fun. Yeah. Okay. And then we're in, um, a good friend of mine, uh, who I used to work with in sales many moons ago, uh, uh, is a, uh, uh, lives in Eastern Washington and he has a place up in, uh, uh, the twisp area and, he wanted to be a sales agent for me. I said, sure. Uh, Cause he knows a few people. And so he got us into Hank's harvest foods and twist. So they carry the full line, which is funny. It's, they're the only, they're the only store we're actually in. And it's in twist of all places. Hank's carries here. <laughs> yeah. Hank's carries your pro- okay. Yep. Yeah. I go up there quite a bit, not to Hank's per se, but to twist and in Winthrop and all that. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. Check it out. Yeah. They got all, they have all the products, uh, you know, on the shelf. That's great. They just uh, reordered uh, a couple of weeks ago. Okay. Yeah. Kind of cool. What What coffee do you use in the in 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 the coffee products? Uh, that's a good question. A lot of people ask that, and I just don't answer it. Okay. 
Okay. Well, let me ask you. Let me, I could tell me, you it's. I could tell you it's South American. Okay, it's a South American. Yeah. So let me ask you this: Are you a coffee drinker? Uh, yes. In fact, I had a cup of coffee just before. So the, uh, where what where do you like to go for coffee? Um, the kitchen. Okay. Um, <laughs> um yeah my my wife uh uh has goes to uh this really nice little place out on uh highway nine and since i don't go with her there all the time i don't know the name of it so i'm really okay bad, really because i'm that. i ask everybody about coffee so yeah, um yeah all right but yeah well when you're not doing your day job and when you're not jumping through bureaucracy and when you're not distilling alcohol what what do you like to well you're gonna guess you're gonna well maybe you'd like to ride your motorcycle you did ride it for two, four miles around yeah, trip yeah but what do you like to do for fun and entertainment oh at, 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 you know when i'm not doing all those things i'm usually sleeping okay. <laughs> but, <Right. laughs> no <laughs> uh yeah uh fun and entertainment for the past few years has been something that really has been like off the list right you can't go to movies which is something that you know i used to like to do Mm -hmm. And um, uh, going out to restaurants and stuff was really a very, you know, hard thing. Fortunately, that's starting to open up. So we're able to start to go out and experiment and go to different places again and try different you found things. anything good lately? Um, yeah, um, there is a, uh, a you know, a, 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 down, in, um, uh, down in Woodenville, uh, there's a really uh, good um, Mexican restaurant that we um discovered and um boy oh boy if i can i'll i can figure out the name of it here pretty quick <laughs> but uh yeah they're yeah very very nice uh very good place uh, okay it's uh do 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 plaza santa fe okay yeah we really like that and uh we came across this um, uh, Italian place, which interestingly enough is directly across the street from there called Pasta Nova Italiano and uh, really good Italian food. So a couple, couple, couple of fun places. A couple of options there. Okay. So my get out of jail free card is what didn't I ask you that I should have? Oh boy. Um, I don't know. We talked about so many fun things. Uh, we're going to have a lot of time, a lot of fun time editing and stuff down. Um, well, we don't edit. That's the beautiful thing. I mean, oh. we'll, we, we, yeah, no, well, yeah, we cool. clean up some ums and ahs, but we, we, yeah. this is just like you and I are sitting around having a, yeah. having a cocktail. I suppose probably, um, uh, this is, I, I guess, one of the things that we go over here a lot with people is that what's fun, what's a lot of fun here is that we go over the history of each individual product. Where did it come from? How did it get there? Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, and e each of them individually have kind of a really fun story behind it. So we 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 really enjoy you know sharing that with people when they're when they're here. And okay. uh, uh, so well, what hours is the tasting room open? Let's 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 oh, get that out. Yep. There. Well, we're open Saturdays and Sundays from noon until six. Okay. Uh, and we and if somebody is you know in need during the week or whatever they call us up you know i mean we're pretty much here all the time you know um, mm -hmm. uh with, with everything going on so if something like i just had somebody stop by and a couple of guys just picked up four bottles probably about you know just about 15 minutes before 
right. <laughs> I got on the call with you. So, you know, um, you know, so, you know, and we do the we, fun things that we do too, which is a lot of fun. We do some things like uh, we have uh, what's called a, uh, a bottling parties we do, which are so much fun. Uh, people can sign up uh, to be on our bottling crew. So people go to like our website and subscribe, they'll get on our main mailing list. And then periodically we send out an email about bottling parties and people can sign up to be on the bottling parties. And it's just so much fun. You know, we have some sips while we're doing it. We set up the whole bottling line. And um, last few times we were averaging like 300 bottles an hour. It was just so much fun. And Karen usually gets some kind of goodie plate halfway through. And we have some, uh, we stop and have some, you know, sips and some goodies. Uh, and then we have another event, which we do periodically also, which is called Cuts Night. And Cuts Night is a lot of fun. Uh, people also use that for kind of a date night thing too. And uh, so Cuts Night is when the alcohol comes off the still, the very, very first stuff that comes off of what we call four shots. And you got to throw that away because it'll kill you. Incredible cleaner. <laughs> uh, okay. You can clean, cleans really well. Uh, but then you got some stuff that comes off, which is kind of funky. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't taste very mature. It hasn't had a lot enough time to really come in contact with a lot of copper. So there's a lot of funny flavors in it and call them congeners, but then it smooths out, you know, for, for a good long time, uh, uh that the first stuff that's called heads and then it smooths out and you have what's called hearts. Very nice. And then there's a lot of fusel oils that are left inside the kettle at the end. And those flavors start to escape and it's kind of nasty. Um, those are tails and it gets progressively nastier the longer you run it. Okay. Um, and I make those cuts, you know, live on the still, I, I taste it and say, okay, well, you know, now I'm going to collect it in this bin versus that bin. Um, but, um, you know, uh, the big guys, of course, it's all automated and, you know, machines make the switch and figure it out. So hundred percent consistent, but I thought, you know, wouldn't it be fun, uh, for people to be able to, you know, taste what it tastes like at the different stages mm -hmm. uh so mm -hmm. uh, i i did a thing and i collected uh, an entire run in mason jars and then i proofed those down to a drinkable to like 80 proof uh mm -hmm. in like these little vials with little eyedropper thingies on them and so people can you know the event is to come and then you can taste all of it from start to finish so you can see how the transition occurs okay and um i collect these from our uh, starter the sugar shine run uh and so people have the opportunity to you know to taste that because less than 50 percent of the alcohol come that comes off the still we actually use in that particular product so people get to the so the question is is where did i start taking the cuts to the product and where did i end so people get mm -hmm. to you know comment on each of the samples the aroma and the taste and how it finished and then they try and grade it and score it and it's just, it's a kick uh, and some people have amazing palates, some not so much, but it's fun anyway. So yeah. how often do you do that? Uh, we usually do one a month, you know. Okay. So yeah, right. it's it's just a, it's a kick. So you put that out in your newsletter, so people that are yeah, are we'll send out out to everybody that's uh, that subscribed, and we'll say, hey, okay. we got a cuts night coming up. If you want to, here's a link. You sign up for it. It's a, it's a good it's a good time. Yep. Okay. Well, that so, does sound like fun, actually. Yeah. Well. I appreciate you taking the time to be here today, sharing your story. Um, it's it's a lot of fun to talk to people throughout the state who are doing interesting things, uh, you know, and, and 
in the hoops sometimes, and, and uh, you know, the, the hoops that we have to jump through to be able to do those things sometimes is, is an interesting part of the story too. Yeah. Um, big thing is persistence. Just yeah. stay at it and, and don't give up and you can get it done. And I look forward to seeing your product in stores other than in Twist. Uh, not, not, nothing against Twisp. <laughs> no, but, not at know, all. Uh, no, because have you ever been to that grocery store? I think I have. Um, last time it, I went through Winthrop. It surprisingly, they have a, for a little town, for you know, it's not that big of a store, it really. It's, it's certainly not like your local Fred Meyer or Safeway. They pack those shelves with a wide variety of things. Yeah. You can find everything there and including your product. <laughs> I can't wait to be able to go out there um, uh, once things clear up on the mountains and uh, we're going to be doing tastings there. So uh, hopefully, oh, you are. yep. Hopefully we'll be doing a tasting there in the next, uh, next month or so. Yeah. Oh, so people in, Met- well, you know, pe- people at twist get to get to meet. The I, I have, I'll sign up for the newsletter. I want to hear about that. That's, that's something I might be able to, uh, Schedule into the, to the scheduling and, and come up there. Cause I love twist. Twist was a fun little place. Yeah. So, well, Beautiful. again, thank you so much for being on the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Join us next time for another episode of the exploring Washington state podcast.